engaging in healthy conversations and healthy relationships. Also, letting our children know that these feelings are okay and that we experience them as well. So letting them know, like, hey, mommy's feeling a little bit frustrated right now, so I'm going to step outside on my porch by myself for five minutes, and I will be right back. I'm going to take a deep breath, and I'll come back. Modeling those behaviors, um, modeling the positive um, coping skills. Inform, educate, advocate. This is your source for all things early childhood. From nurturing healthy development to overcoming behavioral challenges and recognizing mental health needs. Welcome to Centering Kids, advice from the experts at the Florida Center for Early Childhood. The COVID-19 pandemic has increased the need for mental health treatment and support for people of all ages. In fact, in the first seven months of the pandemic, the U.S. saw a 25% nationwide increase in mental health-related emergency room visits for children and young adults. However, when it comes to children, symptoms are very different than those in adolescents or adults, and they can sometimes be overlooked or attributed to bad behavior. Hi, I'm Kristen Tyson, your host for Centering Kids, and today we'll be talking about mental health awareness, particularly in May, which is Mental Health Awareness Month. Our guest today is Michelle Duss, a mental health therapist who works with preschool-aged children at the Florida Center for Early Childhood Starfish Academy Preschool. Hey, Michelle, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be on the show. So can you tell us what exactly mental health awareness entails, Michelle? Sure. So mental health awareness and the the reason for celebrating having the month in May where we recognize mental health is to help raise awareness and to help reduce the stigma of mental health and um, behavioral health as well. Um, So it's helped to raise the awareness of trauma and the impact it can have on the physical, emotional, and mental well-being of children, families, and our communities. And May is considered Mental Health Awareness Month, as you said, which also includes Children's Mental Health Week, the first week of the month. I see. So that's really important, obviously, for mental health. And so the purpose of the Children's Mental Health Week, what would you say, you know, aside from just bringing some more light to the subject? Sure. So um, I think it's really important for us to highlight and to promote children's mental health awareness um, because often it does get overlooked. As you mentioned in your intro, you talked about um, sometimes these behaviors being overlooked and just being um, written off as bad behavior. Um, And it's important for us to normalize that everybody, including our children, may experience mental health issues and that it's important for us to promote this care and this wellness. Um, and here at Starfish, you know, we, we promote healthy approaches in dealing with everyday stress and anxiety. Um, but there's also times where professional help is needed and helping uh, others normalize the fact that it's okay to seek out professional help. I think especially in light of the pandemic, we've all been through a lot of stress and anxiety, and uh, we can't ignore the fact that children are internalizing and feeling a lot of that as well, which I'm sure that you have seen in your profession um, dealing with preschool-aged children. 
And can you tell us a little bit about your background in, in working with children? Absolutely. So my background has spanned um, over the past 16 years working with children and families in a variety of uh, capacities. Um, For several years, I worked as a teacher in preschools. Um, My degree is in child development. And then I worked with our most at-risk families and youth um, as a child welfare uh, worker and then worked also in parenting education and now for the past two years working with the Florida Center as a social-emotional consultant to the preschool here in Northport. Excellent. So you definitely have a wealth of experience and knowledge. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about how the symptoms of mental health issues with children may differ um, than what we would see in adults. Sure. So um, in our children, our um, symptoms of mental health um, and grief, which falls under the mental health and the behavioral health, is um, usually seen in behaviors. Um, So this may look like the child that usually is really outgoing and engaging who all of a sudden is starting to withdraw, is more quiet, is not wanting to do the things that they used to enjoy doing. Um, It may look like the other end of the spectrum. So our kids who were um, not as engaging are now very um, vocal. Maybe they're more aggressive. They may be uh, crying more. Um, You may see these behaviors and not really see a trigger that's happening um, just prior to the behaviors happening. And um, that's kind of how our children are expressing themselves is through their behaviors. They're not emotionally literate yet to be able to fully verbalize what they're feeling and what's going on or what's bothering them. Or they may know something's bothering them, but they don't know how to articulate it. Um, so then this comes out in, um, in the behaviors that we see, um, and it may ebb and flow. Um, so we'll see those at home. We may see those in school, in the different environments that the children are in. Well, I think you make a really great point about children not being able to verbalize their emotions. And a lot of times it seems like people tend to think of children as little adults and they're not, you know, they don't have those skills that you develop as you grow and mature. Absolutely. I agree with that. And that's part of what we do here is we try to build that literacy, that emotional literacy. Emotional literacy is a great term for that. And how would you say that we as parents or caregivers um, can help to maybe address some of these issues or challenges on our own? Sure. So one of the great concepts that um, actually comes from um, Circle Security Parenting Program is being with. So a lot of times when our kids are having big emotions and these big behaviors, um, we may resort to a timeout. And so we're really sending them to be by themselves and try and figure out these emotions um, where being with you're ensuring everybody's safe, but you're letting them work through the emotions. You're being with them, being present, even if they're saying, I don't want you here. You can say in the same room and say, okay, well, I'm here when you're ready and it's okay to be mad. So you're labeling what the emotion is that they're feeling 
um, and you're letting them scream and cry and be out, you know, with those emotions to show that the emotions are okay. And then when everybody's calm, then you can go back and say, you know what, you were really mad because your friend took your toy. And I could see that because your fists were bald and you were crying and you were yelling. Um, and then you can also clarify like, okay, well, in the future, here's what we can do. You can ask for help in that situation instead of hitting your friend who took the toy. Um, you can take that time when we're calm to teach them how to take a deep breath and count to 10 or to ask for help, whether it be from a parent or a teacher um, or another adult. Um, maybe you're blowing bubbles. Um, so you can model that and teach that, um, but you could also give them the language while they're upset and afterwards. I can see you're mad because you're screaming. I can see you're really sad because you're crying. Your face is looking sad with a frown. So you're, you're putting the word with the emotion that they're displaying and that's helping them bridge that gap and learn that um but it's also showing them that it's okay to feel these feelings um however some of the ways that we react may not be okay and so when we're calm and able to um, absorb that information then we can go over some positive coping skills and things that they can do the next time they're starting to feel upset this information is just so valuable and i have to say i'm sitting here having flashbacks to my now teenage son as a toddler, you know, <laughs> crying and throwing a fit and just not knowing what to do in that moment and just, you know, not knowing why they're acting that way. And if, if I had had these techniques, I feel like, you know, I could have really diffused situations and probably been a better parent in that moment. But I know, you know, we say we, we always do the best that we can, but I think these are really yeah. great techniques. Yeah, and I think that all parents go through that at some point. And even when we have the information, there's times where, you know, our emotions run high too. And then we go, oh, okay, I need to step away and take a breath and make sure everybody's safe and then come back with a calm demeanor so that I can share my calm with my child. And I think that's important to try and remember that we're all there at some point as parents. Yes, yes, thank you. And... It sometimes, you know, we can make these changes and, and try to um, assist our children, but there are times when we would need to bring in a, a mental health professional. How would you say that we could recognize when there's that need? Absolutely. So I think that there's not necessarily a one-size-fits-all of, like, okay, if you see this, then that. Um, I think, you know, you know your children. You know the experiences that they've had. Um, and if you are seeing things, um, behaviors, um, changes in behaviors that are occurring for a prolonged period of time that are impeding um, daily activities, um, impeding their school, their performance, um, maybe they're consistently being sent home um, from school because of behavior, um, these would be some red flags uh, that would say, okay, maybe we need to seek out some uh, support and um, see what else we can do to help our child work through this situation. Um, maybe it's grief-related. Um, significant loss can be really hard for children to understand and to be able to process. And you may see that 
delayed. You know, the the event may have occurred occurred a couple months ago, and now you're starting to see behaviors, and you may not um, immediately connect it to the event that happened a, a couple months ago. Um, but I would say if you're starting to see these things that are out of your child's normal, typical behavior and functioning, um, that and that's happening for a prolonged period of time, and you've you've tried these different techniques, and school um, has tried different techniques, um, then it might be a time for you to talk with either a therapist or talk with a school social worker to kind of get some referrals and, and advocate for your child um, for the help that they may need and the evaluations that they may need to help them um, be the best that they can be. So I'm picturing, you know, a mental health session here, and we've talked about that on this podcast before, that, you know, you're not going to have a baby or a toddler laying on the couch telling their, you know, deepest, darkest, you know, feelings. What would a mental health session look like for a young child? Oh, that's a good question. So this is something that I get asked all the time because I do have children um, as young as three that come through for sessions and I have the parents and the caregivers going, okay, so what are we going to do here? So the children's world is play. So just like you said, we're not going to sit them in the chair and talk for an hour about, you know, what they're feeling. Um, Like we said earlier, they don't have all the language um, to say what they're feeling. And even if they do, they may not always be able to articulate it. And so children learn through play. They express themselves through play. They make sense of their world through play. So a session really is a lot of play and us following the child's lead and asking open-ended questions um, commenting on what we're seeing in, in play. A session may also look like involving the caregiver um, in modeling. So us as a therapist modeling um, positive and appropriate responses to the child um, when the child becomes upset. Helping them role play through things with the the parent or caregiver um, or individually. Um, So there's a variety of things and it's going to vary depending on what the situation is, depending on the age of the child. Um, But with our very young kids, um, a lot of times it is um, a play therapy framework that we're using uh, to help them just be comfortable and build that trust and then be able to just work through what they're experiencing or what they have experienced through play. And you'd be surprised some of the things that they will share inadvertently while they're playing. Hmm. That's, that's really interesting. And I don't want to put you on the spot too much, but I was just wondering if there has been a time when you've worked with a, a child that, you know, something has come out and, you know, it's like a light bulb went off and you're like, oh my gosh, that's what's going on. Have you ever had that kind of experience or maybe a parent has had that experience? Yeah. So I had a child once, um, that was in here playing and, we have this dollhouse and all these figurines and then we have um, people and he was gravitating towards the dollhouse and playing with the dollhouse and he had these little kid figurines and then all of a sudden he was like, oh no, we've got to hide, we've got to hide and he's trying to hide the little kid figurines in the house and I asked, I said, oh, I wonder why they're hiding. He said, mommy's coming and we've got to hide because mommy's mad. 
And I thought, oh, okay, okay. So this is a, a child that had some trauma in their past and, um, you know, was in the foster care system. And, and this just kind of opened a door. Um, so that was early on working with this uh, child, actually when I first started working with the Florida Center. So it was, it was one of those light bulb moments. Hmm, so that's definitely an opportunity to seek to get more information about, you know, maybe what exactly. the, the mom might have been going through or how she expressed her emotions and if she was still involved and, you know, trying to to work that out for her as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, it was um, in this case, uh, the mom wasn't involved in our world and our picture she was kind of in and out of the kids lives but it opened a door to see okay there's something that they experienced with mom when they were living with mom and it was obviously something that was a little bit scary to them because he's telling the kids to hide because mom's coming oh gosh that's heartbreaking but it again it's it's encouraging because you are able to figure that out and then you can move forward from there which i think is really the Absolutely. point of so much of this yeah it really is and it and it led us to being able to move forward and start processing through some of the things that he experienced so that he could come to a place where he has some closure if you will on that um on the other end i've worked with parents with um circle security parenting and have had wonderful um you know where they've had aha moments and they're like oh okay so this is what um my child needs and i had a mom that was like gosh i wish my parents had this when i mentioned earlier about the being with and she came back one of the sessions and said, you know what, I just sat with him when he was screaming and crying. And when he calmed down, he was like, oh, you're still here. And then they were able to actually, like, talk about it instead of what she used to do before, which was send him off to his room and close the door. And then, you know, when he calmed down, then he can kind of come out. And she just sat with him through the entire tantrum that he was having. And at the end, when he was calm, she was able to talk to him about what happened, what caused him to become upset and what his behaviors were and what was okay and what wasn't okay and give him an intervention, which would be one of our positive coping skills um, to use the next time. And for this kid, it was counting. And then she saw later on where he would do it on his own because he had two younger brothers and they were constantly kind of taking his toys and um, that was frustrating. And she watched him do it um, on his own one day when one of the little brothers was, getting into his toys and instead of his initial reaction which typically would be to push or to hit um he counted he screamed it but he counted and he walked away and then came back and she brought that back in and was like yeah this works um so we do get those too and that's really exciting to see when somebody's had success with it that is awesome definitely and i you know although we've been talking a lot about you know young children and their mental health. Really, you know, as May is the Mental Health Awareness Month, we want to make sure that, um, you know, we're, we're recognizing that mental health is important for people of all ages. And how, yeah. you know, how would you suggest maybe that the parents can set good examples for their children when it comes to mental health? Sure. So I think this is something that's really important. And I think one of the ways that we do that is, to the best of our ability, engaging in healthy conversations and healthy relationships. Um, Also, letting our children know that these feelings are okay and that we experience them 
as well. Um, so letting them know, like, hey, mommy's feeling a little bit frustrated right now, so I'm going to step outside on my porch by myself for five minutes, and I will be right back. I'm going to take a deep breath, and I'll come back. Modeling those behaviors, um, modeling the positive um, coping skills. When our kids are calm, teaching them those positive coping skills because they're not going to learn it when they're in the heat of the moment. Um, we don't learn when we're in the heat of the moment. So often I talk to my parents and caregivers uh, about teaching them at bedtime. So teaching them the breathing, the counting, um, the deep breaths, uh, maybe a guided meditation and do it at bedtime because that's usually a time where we're all calmer anyways and it's a time where you can also use that and bridge that to like oh you're having trouble sleeping well let's remember the counting that we did one slow deep breath in between each number and then when they are starting to get upset you know um letting them know like hey Remember the counting that we did? I can see that you're starting to get upset because I see your fist starting to ball. Let's count together. And really just working with them on that. Um, and eventually you'll see where they go and and um, do it on their own. Um, personal example, I have two young girls. And we use um, a, an app on the phone that has some meditations, short little meditations for um, kids. And I started using them with my girls when they be would become upset and there was a day where my daughter came out and she stormed out of her room and um, was upset and I said what are you doing she grabbed the phone and she said I'm gonna use my meditation I said okay great and, mm -hmm. and that's what she she does that's her one of her go-to's now is we have an old phone and and uh, it still has that app on it and she'll grab it and when she's upset and she'll listen to the meditation and do the breathing along with it and then she, that helps her calm down um, so I think um, taking care of ourselves as well is really important and modeling those positive coping skills and um, really just talking to our kids about emotions and that it's okay to feel a variety of emotions, uh, emotions um, but talking to them about what the positive responses are and, and not the negative responses. It's okay to be mad. It's not okay to hit our friends or call people names instead ask for help take a deep breath walk away and giving them you know the the okay to feel the emotion but what to do in a positive manner wow michelle you have given us so many um, tools and resources that we as caregivers or parents or um you know educators however it may be that we're working with young children or even just in our own relationships and, and how to mm -hmm care for our mental health and to respond in a healthy way when, when there's stress or anxiety. So thank you so much for everything that, that you've shared with us today. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to be on the show. Well, that is all for today's show. And I just want to remind our listeners that you can find more information about early childhood mental health, as well as healthy development resources on our website, which is www.thefloridacenter.org. And I just want to remind you too, that the Florida Center for Early Childhood is a nonprofit organization based in Florida. And this podcast is sponsored by listeners like you. So if you'd like to support us or request a topic for the show, go ahead and email us at info at Thanks for listening. Until next time. Bye-bye.
Thanks for listening to today's episode of Centering Kids. You can visit the Florida Center for Early Childhood online at www.thefloridacenter.org to learn more and subscribe to this podcast. Have comments or suggestions for a show topic? Email us at podcast at Thanks again for joining us for Centering Kids, where early childhood experts give you tips and tools to help center children, foster their healthy development, and build stronger families.